The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. I'm glad you're here. We are in Psalm 118 this morning, and in this psalm, we are going to look at the everlasting love of God, one of my favorite topics. We are going to be looking at the, the refugeness of God, how to seek refuge in God. And as we get into this today, I need us to um, take a moment and realize that everything that we're doing here as we come to sing songs to God, as we come to drink coffee with one another, all of these aspects of a Sunday morning gathering, they're, they're not just here for consumption. Um, they're, they're here to be consumed, to be enjoyed, and then also so that we can be community. The, the only reason we come here on a Sunday is for community, because you can do this wherever you want. Nowadays, we've got podcasts and sermons and worship songs. You can listen to Jesus stuff on your way to work. You can listen to sermons on your way back home. Today, this Sunday morning, it's for me so exciting to hear other people singing and declaring the love of God. And, um, and, I, and I love seeing that moment where people, where people just close their eyes and, and you look over at them and they get that sheepish grin on their face and it's like they're, they're that child that, that just got their most favorite thing. Every day Savannah comes home from school, we pick her up from preschool. She says, Daddy, can I have a treat? And if her mom's home, I can't give her a treat. Um, I just say, no, sweetie, I'm sorry. It's broccoli or nothing for you. But when her mom is not home, I get to be a good dad. And um, this week I gave her a bowl of ice cream, and it had chocolate, and it had vanilla, and then she said, can I have Oreos? And I said, you can have one Oreo. And she said, can I have three? And I said, sure. Because mom wasn't home. And uh, so I took the Oreos and I mashed them up in this ice cream. And she just sits at the table and she says, Daddy, you're the best daddy. I love you. And I said, Savannah, if you love me, do not tell your mother. And she ate it. And the rest of the day she was enraptured with me, all because of a bowl of ice cream and Oreos. Uh, Sometimes I think... We, we forget that this is what we get to come into. Like this is the spiritual ice cream and Oreos, but some of us are hesitant to, to dive in. Some of us are hesitant to believe that God is good, that God's love will never fail us, that we have a foundation that will not shake. And that, that's what this psalm this morning gives us. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to read and get into it. Father, Lord, I pray that we would be in love and enraptured with you more so than my daughter is with me after a bowl of ice cream, that we would see you as the giver of all joy, all strength, all security, that we would run to you in difficult times and, and be embraced by you when we feel far from others. Lord, I know that at times you feel distant. God, I know in my head that you love me, but God, I think all of us sometimes, maybe we don't believe it down to the depth of our being. I pray that that would change this morning. I pray that Psalm 8, 118 would help us to run to you as our refuge, to enter in to your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just going to read a little and talk a little. 118 verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Everyone say, give thanks. Okay, just making sure you had coffee with me. 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Now this phrase is going to just be blasted uh, from this point forward through the end of the book of Psalms. And even right now. So here we go. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say. Okay, if you didn't say it, then you're not afraid or you don't have honor. Let's try it again. Let the chapel family say. Okay, I know that not all of you read because after college you stop reading books, but it's right there. God's steadfast love endures how long? Okay, we don't use the word steadfast very often. I love that word. There are so many Bible words I wish we could bring back. There, there's really two categories of words that I miss. I miss words from the 80s and 90s. Uh, I still use the word rad, and I think it will make a comeback eventually because I'm not going to give up on it. But then Bible words like steadfastness. I love that. Steadfast. It just sounds so like we have no idea what it really means. Like if I asked you, what does steadfast mean? It, well, it means that. God is always going to, yeah, that's part of it. What does it have to, does it, is it steady? Is it fast? Is it steady and fast? Is it stead? What is a stead? Not a homestead. There's so many questions about this word, but it's all over the Psalms. So we, we need to ask ourselves a question of, of this. When we start out our days, and this is, this is a freebie. When you start out your days, you can start out your days um, responding to the things the world is throwing at you. Or you can start out your day proactively. Now, let me give you an example. This psalmist, and a lot of the psalmists, they say right out of the gates, give thanks. And then why should we give thanks? Because the steadfast love of God endures forever. This is why we give thanks. Now, there's a little experiment that I've been trying, and this is a difficult experiment. I've come to realize more and more that humans, we, we like certain things uh, physiologically. Our brains are triggered to do things that bring us joy and happiness. Now, one of those things is being accepted and approved by others. So a lot of us do this. I'll speak for myself. I do this. I wake up in the morning, and my phone is also my alarm. And it goes, like whatever the morning thing is. And I grab it, and I used to just jump right on, and I'd say, okay, let's go through like the normal things I would do. What's going on on the news? What's going on on Facebook? What's going on on Instagram? What's going on on the Twitter? And then I would say, okay, now it's time to get up. Ah, go get ready. And I realized that by doing this, I was starting out my day reacting to what other people were producing. I started out my day not by giving thanks for what God has done, but by looking what other people are doing, and then my whole day is already rolling now. It's not a day where I am actively pursuing God. It's not a day where I am actively taking control of my day and living in gratitude. It's now become a day where I'm just responding to the needs and the desires or the quips and posts of others. Now, it's, it's not bad. Don't feel bad if you wake up and you're like, Man, that's me. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, I'm all over that Instagram. I know some of you are because some of you send me posts like at 5.30 in the morning. Like, hey, I'm heading to the gym. You should come. And I don't respond to that. I'm a responder in other ways, but not to that one. But, but we have a choice, like the psalmists, on what you're going to set to anchor your day. Every person that I've ever talked to that I admire that's like a high-level performer, a business leader, a thought leader, an amazing student, whatever category, from middle school through retirement, the people that I look at and admire, one thing is always common with them. They're not people who start their day on other people's terms. They start their day on their terms 
with God at the center. They start their day not saying, let's see what other people are doing. Not, not, let's not see what's going on in the world around us because the news is, is no better. If you start by reading the news every morning, you're responding instantly to whatever that news company wants you to think about. Instead of saying, this morning I have an amazing opportunity to give thanks because God loves me. If I have to choose one thing that I want to start my day rooted in and grounded on, it's gratitude for what God has done for me. It's gratitude for the fact that his love is steadfast, that it will constantly be coming at me, toward me. God's love is a one-way love falling on me that has nothing to do with me. If I fail, he loves me. If I'm good, he loves me because Jesus died for me. He loves me and you. So, so let's keep reading because we're going to get into the stress part because that's the good church stuff. God loves you. Begin there. Don't begin your life responding to others. Begin your day pursuing God and giving gratitude for what he has done. But now stress always comes. Anyone felt stress in the last 24 hours? Okay, I'm just, I need to gauge the audience. Okay, anyone felt stress in the last two days? Okay, now let me do this. Anyone had a totally stress-free week where everything was beautiful? Okay, one guy, one guy, and he got flown here and embraced his son, and they mushed beards in the airport. Like, it is a good week for them, for Gary and Jesse. Good week for Gary and Jesse. Now, that's a vacation. Like, if some of you just landed in Port Canaveral and drove straight here after an eight-day carnival cruise on the Oasis, I would be angry if you said I had a terrible week, unless it was one of those ones where the flu was going around. But, but, but stress enters, and it enters for the psalmist, and here's what happens right here. And so if you've ever had stress, if you've ever wondered, how do I deal with stress in God's economy, here's the blueprint. Verse 5, out of my distress, I called on the Lord... The Lord answered me and set me, what's the word, chapel? Free. The Lord is on whose side? My side. I will not fear. There's another verse in the New Testament, 1 John uh, 4, I think. Perfect love casts out all fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Now, let's stop right there. Um, Stress, it's, it's a part of life. There's two types of stress. There's distress, which is anxiety, depression, the pressure upon you. And then there's the, what we call eustress, which no one, everyone wants that. That's the good stress. Eustress, E-U, stress, means it's the positive side of stress, the stress that feels great. It's like, um, it's like if you're that kid from Newport, Richie, uh, that just won the lottery. Some 20-year-old kid won $400 million or something. That morning when he got that, like, wow, that's eustress. You know, it will turn into distress because I've seen how the lottery winners go. But right now, you stress. It's, it's you on the day. It's so good when children are being born. Every time one of my kids is being born, um, it's like super stressful. And all I want to do at the end of it is take a nap because it drained me. But it's a good stress. It's watching the baby come out. It's watching the wife give birth. It's me having gratitude that I was born a male and not a female. It's all of these components mixed up. But in the end, I'm like, this was a good day. This psalmist starts out with gratitude. But just because you start out your routine with gratitude and thankfulness in response to God, it doesn't mean that difficult times won't come. Difficult times will come, and the psalmist shows us. Out of my distress, first, he calls on the Lord. And then the Lord answered and set him free. Too many of us, 
we, we wait to call on the Lord until we get to the end of the problem. So often, if this is a pendulum of stress, here's where life is good, there's where life is really bad, when life starts to creep, we call on other things. Maybe we turn to, I just need to relax. Maybe we turn to, I just need some time by myself. Maybe we turn to, I really need a vacation. And then we usually, if you're a churchgoer, you start to call on the Lord when things get out of your control. You start to call on the Lord when you feel like that that baby moth that just got stuck in the spider's web and you're panicking and you don't see a way out and you're, you're frolicking and you're saying, I can't get out, I can't get out. And then we call on the Lord. But for whatever reason, humanity, we're, we're almost wired this way to look to other things other than God to call out to in the midst of our difficult times. And until you change that habit, you, you will constantly be caught in this cycle where you try to fill the stress thing, you try to solve the stress problem with something else. And, and we all do it. I do it. You do it. It's as easy as this. Um, I'm, I, you have a rough day. You have a hard day or a long day. Maybe not even a rough day, just a long day. Lots of emails. You get home. Right when you get home, kids are everywhere. Right when you get home, something is broken. There's, you're hungry. There's no food. So you say, I'm, I'm just going to, I need to unwind. So we unwind. We sit in the couch, turn something on. And we're unwinding. Now, that may help a little bit. But, but all we're doing every time we do something like unwinding, we're, we're actually just hitting pause on our stress. And that may be good enough for some of you. But I don't want to just pause my stress. I want to hit stop, delete, do not repeat. I don't want to just pause my stress for an hour or pause my stress for an evening. I want to get to the place where I can say, okay, I'm having a difficult season. I need to learn how to take this distress, wrap it up, give it to God, and leave it there so that I no longer have to be enslaved by it. It's interesting that the psalmist says, out of my distress I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. Because I believe that distress actually traps us. That's why he's using this language of freedom. When we're under distress, we are trapped. When we're, when we're in distress, we can't get out which is why we need to call on someone outside of us to help us. Call on the Lord. This is that, the interesting thing. I, I love going to bookstores, even though it's so weird to think, you guys, like, literally, my grandkids are not going to know what a bookstore is. And it breaks my heart. Because bookstores were my favorite pastime growing up. As a child, I would go to the bookstores. I'd ride my bike to the bookstores. And I would want to sit there and read. And even now as an adult, like there's fewer and fewer bookstores because Amazon is taking over the world and Jeff Bezos is going to be the Godzilla of the universe eventually. But, but I go to these bookstores and I, I love to see, okay, what's, what are the best sellers? And now I can do that on my phone, but I still like to go to the bookstores. And then I go, what is the biggest section? You know what the biggest sections reliably are? There's, there's like teen fiction is huge. And then self-help. And self-help, it drives me nuts. It drives me bonkers because every problem that we have, for the most part, you, yourself, got into it on your own. And now, you, yourself, are trying to get out of it on your own. It, it's like throwing you in a mud pit and saying, clean yourself off while you're still in the mud pit that you dug, you filled with water, and you jumped in. It's, it's so ludicrous to me. We need to get in the habit of when stress comes, 
first call on the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail, but call out. When you're frustrated at something with work or family or or whatever the scenario, say, God, I need you to help me free because I'm feeling trapped. I'm feeling trapped by this distress. And here's why he does it. Because it says in verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Man, wouldn't it be nice to never fear? To never be afraid. I, uh, there was this weird thing that happened yesterday. Um, I, I've got a handful of friends who live in Hawaii, and I don't know if you guys saw it on the news because it was just a blip of a news story. But Hawaii sent out a statewide emergency call, like the kind we get for Irma, that said, uh, missile, ballistic missile incoming, like imminent danger, seek shelter immediately. And then it said, not a drill. So I've got all of these friends uh, living in Hawaii, and they're like, pray, what's going on? Oh my goodness, I'm under a desk. And I remember thinking like, wait, I, I remember this. I remember, I'm not, I'm not so young that I don't remember like the end of the Cold War when we had drills. We had school drills where they would say, okay, we're going to do this drill. We're going to set off this alarm. This is the bomb is coming drill. Get under your desk. Now, I, unfortunately, I wasn't as sarcastic or intelligent back then because I would have said, this is dumb. What is my fake particle board desk going to do if a bomb hits us? But, but then it brought back all of these memories of how we, we need to hide. Because the next verse, if, after we're getting out of distress, after we're calling on the Lord, here's how we do it. Here's how we get into a better a rhythm. It is better, verse 8, to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Verse 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Part of getting rid of distress, getting free from distress, is finding your refuge in something that is strong. Those desk situations yesterday, if a ballistic missile is heading for you, I, I am mostly confident that a desk or a table is not going to help you. It may help you from falling debris if you're not in the direct line of impact. But, it, but if the missile's coming for us, our houses aren't going to hold up here. Our houses crack because Florida is made of sand. Okay? Like, they, they're not built with this amazing strength. Or, or let me put this in a more Floridian way. Um, to trust in, in something of man or government, that's why they use the word princes, as your refuge, it's, you're more likely to be safe if you're in a wet cardboard box in the middle of Irma. Okay? Now, I need you to understand this. And if you don't learn to seek your refuge in God, your life will be constantly battered with distress and fear and anxiety and depression. Now, taking refuge is good, but what you take refuge under is better, right? So uh, there's these stories, and I, I love all the stories about, I know it's, I don't know if it's politically incorrect or whatever, but ma- male chivalry, I love chivalry. I'm like a fan of it. Raised by a single mother, my mom always said, like, if you see a woman getting attacked, you jump in there. You protect and love. And I tell my boys all the time, what's a brother's job? And both my boys will tell you, protect and love. That is a brother's job because I, I like this idea of chivalry. And I know that it's maybe not popular with everybody, but the stories that, that always catch me are like those ones in Texas when they've got the hail the size of softballs falling out of the sky, just bombarding, and people are running for cover. And 
inevitably, when those things happen, there's these incredible stories of, of uh, maybe a mom and a kid or a boyfriend and a girlfriend where the girlfriend goes on the ground and the boyfriend covers her. And he takes all of the hail upon himself. Now, I've been in one hailstorm in my life, like a legit hailstorm. It was on my way here from California to Florida. I was caught in this tornado warning in the middle of Oklahoma City, and there were golf ball-sized hail just falling. And I was like, this is, this is it. And I had already known these stories. I had used this sermon illustration before of hail and the men being chivalrous. So I was there, and, and I was with a group of people, and I look around, and I'm like, this is the story where I'm supposed to, like, cover the, the females, like, be a man, be chivalrous. And we go outside, and the, the girls are, like, laughing, like, ah! This is so much fun. I was like, there's a tornado warning. We're going to die. Get to the bunker. So we run out. And I don't know why, but they said, well, I'll drive because they know where they're going. So instead of going to the car I was driving in the middle of a tornado with golf ball size hail, which I was driving a Toyota 4Runner. Like, that seems like a good car. No, foolishly, we all jump into a Toyota Prius. Six of us in a Toyota Prius. So we jump in. And I'm, like, trying to cover them with my hands, block hail, like Dragon Ball Z character. That's, sorry, it's a young reference. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm getting into the car, and then we get out to this university where there's a bunker, and we're running, and there's a river. And me and this other girl who's, like, six foot one, we jump over the river because we're tall. But then we left back the girl who's, like, four nothing. And she's like, I can't make it. I'm going to die. Leave me behind. No, she didn't say that. Um, we just walked back through, and I, I brought her over. It, it was okay. But in the midst of all that, we get down to this bunker, we went from this flimsy house to this bunker, this tornado bunker. I'd never been in a tornado bunker. I'm from California. I'm terrified of tornadoes. My natural disaster order rank of scariness, tornadoes, tsunamis, uh, hurricanes, and then earthquakes are at the bottom. I'm not scared of those at all. Okay, so that, that's my rank. I was right there, tornado. I'm like, I'm not doing this. But I get in this bunker, and I'm like, this is, I feel safe. I mean, this is some serious amount of mortar and bricks. I can survive here. Now, the scary thing was is I had no cell service, and the friend that I was there visiting, uh, they, they were trying to call. Like, is he safe? Is he safe? But I had no cell service, so uh, they thought that I died, and it was okay. Because um, they know that it's my dream to die, just not in a tornado, preferably. But that refuge, it was so strong. I didn't worry at all. As a matter of fact, after we were down there for a little bit, our clothes started to dry from the, the torrential rain, hail, bombarding. I just sat there, and then somebody brought a guitar down. And they're like, hey, let's sing some songs. I was like, in the middle of a tornado, this is so good. Not a worry in the world. Sirens went off, went back outside. Sun started peeking around. I thought, my first tornado, it's not so bad, as long as you have a refuge to stand in. Too many of us, I think, we... We put the idea of seeking refuge high on the priority, but we don't always pay attention to what our refuge is or how strong it is. I think it's interesting that it says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And put in our modern context, it is better to trust in the Lord than it is to trust in your government to be your refuge. And if this last two years of our country's life has taught us anything, it should be that. Our government cannot protect us, be a refuge for us very well. Going to our government to provide for us, to protect us, to give us purpose, to give us identity, to give us safety, can change literally every four years or every two years. 
this is why it's one of the reasons why I think it's it's foolish when churches lump into a political side. It's like we think that if we get our team in the high up offices, then we will have safety, then we will have purpose, then we will have this approval, this this going on of in our country of doing what we want to do. But what's interesting is that that's the very opposite of what Jesus did. He didn't go to Caesar. He went to the shepherds. He didn't go to the rich. He went to the poor. He didn't go to the religious. He went to the prostitutes. But so many of us, we seek refuge in non-God things. We think that if we just get the right pieces in place of power, then we will have safety. This, uh, this week, it's been a weird news cycle. Like I, I do read the news, but it's after I calibrate my life around God and his love first because I don't want to respond instantly. I don't want my first thing to be response. So I, I, I pursue God. I have my morning routine. And then I'll get some coffee, a lot of coffee. And then I start going through news, texts, emails, etc. One of the things that I thought this week was, man, there, we are short on loving one another in our culture. Like, not just a little bit short. Like, when we can... Uh, the, I'm not saying anything about political affiliation, true or false, but when we begin to label others or attack others as negative, bad, terrible, when, when we bombard one another with labels, the, I, I believe the only place that we are going to find shelter from this bombardment is in God's refuge, and God's refuge is a place where steadfast love endures forever. God's refuge is not a place where we get to lift ourselves up and attack others with moral superiority. God's refuge is not a place where we stand tall while others are being crushed to the ground. God's refuge is a place where his love permeates everything. And no matter where you are on the, on the spectrum of politics, we have to understand, because I think it's prevalent on both sides, that the more we are manufacturing hate, the more we are stepping out of God's refuge. If, if God's refuge is here, when we hate, we, we're stepping out and looking up, and there's hail coming down. If we're in God's refuge here, when we label others and when we push others down, we're, we're stepping out of God's refuge. This is just a paraphrase of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, uh, 1 John chapter 4, I mean, it's, it's one of the most amazing chapters in the New Testament on the topic of love. Uh, it, it's the, the book of John, 1 John, talks about love, I think, 46 times. 46 times. 27 of them, give or take, are, are within verses cha- chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In God's refuge, it's a place of steadfast love. If we don't love, then we might not actually believe in God's love. First John tells us this. It's difficult to understand, because if I quiz all of you today, if I said, who believes that God is loving, most of you would raise your hand, unless you're here as a skeptic, in which case, welcome, glad you're here. Um, but if, if we truly believed that God is love and his love is for you, always on you, then we would be people who love others. And in that 
moment, that's when we are standing under the protective refuge of God. When you are loving others, you are showing by your love that, that you have embraced and accepted and are living out of God's overflow of love for you. The psalmist, <laughs> it, it gets really good here. This is my favorite part. We're going to jump down to verse, um, uh, verse 19. So how do you get into this refuge, this refuge of steadfast forever love? The psalmist says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. You want to get into God's refuge, into God's economy of radical love and kindness and patience and protection? You enter through the gate. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, you might instantly be thinking, gate, gate, I've heard that before. Jesus himself said, I am the gate. Enter through me. If you enter through me, then you will have my righteousness. It's, um, my, my, my daughter loves kids YouTube right now. The only problem with kids YouTube and my daughter is that she loves food. Um, so much so that everything on kids' YouTube she watches revolves around food. My daughter is obsessed with food. At night, we give thanks for what we uh, are thankful for that day, and then we look forward and ask for what, we, what they might want to do tomorrow. This was, no joke, my daughter's prayer with my wife. First she says, God, I'm thankful for Daddy and Mommy and my brothers, blah, 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 blah. I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful for mac and cheese. I'm thankful for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. And then right as she's going to bed, she'll tell Amy, what I want to do tomorrow is eat. (laughs) And I'll ask her from time to time when she tells me, sweetheart, what do you want to eat? Because it just depends on which YouTube video she's been watching. And right now her thing is this. So if one of you have one, if you could let me borrow it, that'd be great because I want to buy one of these. She goes, Daddy, I want a chocolate fountain. Okay, okay, we can maybe do that. Sometime I go somewhere with a chocolate fountain. No, no, I want a chocolate fountain to dip my hand in. That's less acceptable in my home. But daddy, I want a chocolate fountain to dip my hand in for breakfast. So this is where I realize I've gone wrong as a dad because I've already done the two scoops of ice cream, three Oreos, I've given in. I've lost the game. But she wants this chocolate fountain. She wants this thing because she wants to put marshmallows in it and she wants to put Rice Krispie treats in it. She won't put any of the fruit in it because my my daughter is an anti-fruit, anti-veggie kind of girl. She's a, a pork-eating, pizza-consuming human being. She's made after her dad's image, okay? Um, she wants this fountain because she wants to cover things with chocolate. This, this is so perfect for spiritual life. You enter through Jesus. You get covered by Jesus. You look like Jesus. It, it's as simple as that. We didn't get a chocolate fountain yet, but we got that chocolate you can put stuff in and then it gets hard in the refrigerator. You put it in and the best thing about that is when you use a bunch of berries and put them in, your kids don't know what's in them. You don't know if it's a blueberry, raspberry, blackberry. You can kind of tell by shapes maybe, but my kids aren't that discerning yet. They want a specific thing because some of them like blackberries, some of them like raspberries, but you cover them with chocolate. What do they look like? Chocolate berries. They just look chocolate. They're covered with chocolate. You don't know what's in there except for you know that there's chocolate on there. This is what it means to enter in through Jesus. And that's why this verse says that God has become our salvation. 
the gate, the person we enter through. He is our salvation. It's not how good you are. It's not how much you do. It's not how much you give. It's if you enter through the gate of God's love in Jesus Christ and you stand in the refuge and you say, here I am. I'm covered with Jesus. I look like Jesus. Now I'm going to go love like Jesus. This is what it means to be in the refuge. This is what it means to be loved by God. It's an unshakable love. And then a prophecy comes right after this in verse 22. When it says that he has become our salvation, verse 22 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And here's a verse that we often take out of context. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We say that verse separate from this passage. But in this passage... It sounds like this. God has loved me and saved me and changed me. This is the day the Lord has made, and I'm glad in it. The day that I looked to Jesus, the day that I was covered by Jesus, the day that I lived for Jesus, this day. It's not just every day. It's not just some days when you wake up and you want to feel pumped about your day. It's not just Easter. It's when we look to Jesus as the beginner and the finisher of our faith is when we look to Jesus as the one who covers us with his love so that we can now go love others. That is the day the Lord has made. I'm tempted to get this chocolate fountain just so I can have this sermon illustration with my kids because I know what's going to happen. It's going to start out civil because my family, we start out civil, we end in chaos. It's going to start out with marshmallows and sticks and we're going to dip it and we're going to eat them. And then we're going to run out of sticks. We're going to run out of those fondue sticks because the 70s called and took all their sticks back. And someone's going to grab something and stick it in. And I already know how this is going to end. Because on the inside, I'm just a child encased in a giant man body. Because when they get chocolate on the table, I'm going to say, I see your chocolate on the table. And I'm going to raise you a chocolate on your face. And my wife is pregnant right now. So it's even more fun. Because when she's pregnant, you can totally mess with her. She's like a delusional human being. She's driven also, like my daughter, by chocolate and fun. So I'm going to take some chocolate. I'm going to whip it on Amy's nose. And then it's going to go to bedlam. Because then one of my boys, who have no care for rules or authority, will take an apple. Not just a slice. They're going to take a whole apple. They're going to dip it in, and they're going to throw it. At least this is how it's playing out in my head. In my head. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm going to try this. Maybe outside in the patio. Maybe with my in-laws. That way I have someone to hide behind. But, but the, more we're gonna, the more we get involved in this chocolate fountain, the more it's going to get all over everything. And then all of a sudden I'm going to have chocolate on my clothes, chocolate on my face, chocolate in my eye, chocolate in my ears, chocolate in my hair. And some of you are thinking that's too much chocolate. Some of you are thinking, man, oh man, do I want some chocolate. But this is what it's like inside God's refuge. Jesus covers us. And if, if you go out, you're covered in God's goodness, God's love, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, not looking down on anybody because God never looked down on you, not judging anybody with shame and guilt because God didn't pile shame and guilt on you. God has rescued you and freed you in a way that had nothing to do with you because he loves you. This is God's refuge, and I pray, I pray that you would learn to be in it. Some of us are still stuck in the stress and anxiety and depression. Some of us are stuck in the fear. Call out to the Lord. Enter into his refuge through Jesus. There is no other way. That's the only, we have this name on here. There's no other name. It's not the chapel. It's not church community. It's not 
being a good person. It's entering through Jesus and saying, God, I need a refuge. Cover me, save me, change me. And then learning to live life from the shelter of his wings, a life of love and forgiveness. Learning to live life on God's terms and not the terms that this world tries to put upon you. Learning to live life out of the strength of his arms around you, not in response to the poking fingers this world so often wants to direct us to. You have a choice today. I don't know what you'll choose, and at the risk of being a corny cliche pastor, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and kindness and love. I thank you that you would give us such a radical refuge that keeps us safe in the darkest storm, that gives us the ability to love and to care for others when the world is battering around us like a fiery hail storm. Give us now the ability to see you and to know you and to walk with you and in you as you walk beside us, our helper and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.